Welcome everybody to Investors Gallery. We're live again. Again, I'd like to thank everybody who is listening on the other podcast platforms, Google Podcasts, iTunes, Deezer, Stitcher. I guess if you, if you name it, we're probably on there. So I really appreciate you guys listening. Um, I found out we have international listeners now. So that's really good to hear. So I appreciate everybody for listening. And I appreciate everyone who's watching us visually as well. And I appreciate everybody who took the time to come see us live. It's almost like a TV show. So today we have Isaac on. And he's going to give us a lot of secrets, save us a lot of money, um, keep us out of jail. And I'm really excited because I'm a nerd. And I love numbers, but I know there's a lot of things that I don't know in this particular category. And I'm really excited to have him on. So thank you, sir, for being on. Thanks for joining us and our family. Um, let me give you a short background if I didn't already. So the reason why we call this Investors Gallery is we're technically in my art gallery. So my art gallery is next door. Um, I haven't finished it yet. Once I finish it, uh, we'll move the video and the audio and everything over there. Last week, we did get a chance to shoot at a real art gallery. It was the South Woodland Art Gallery um, here in North Houston, Texas. So that was really cool. So that's where the name Investors Gallery came from. So I appreciate you coming on uh, this evening. Tell us, uh, tell us about yourself and uh, give us some information today. <laughs> Absolutely. So first of all, Presley, thank you so much for having me on. It's, it's truly an honor every single time I get onto one of these uh, podcasts slash um, live, live seminars and webinars to be able to educate as many people as possible um, on the basics of cost segregation and how to save people money using their investment properties. So I started out as a little boy um, in Detroit, Michigan, always um, looking for opportunities to make some money. I used to mow, 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 the, mow as many lawns as I was able to get my hands on. Um, always had that entrepreneurial type of personality in regards to uh, being a go-getter. Um, when I was a student in school, I was always doing some side jobs. And then finally, when I became of age, I got married and I decided hey, let's, uh, let's go hit the road and see what I can do. And a lot of my friends suggested that I get involved in the real estate space. Um, once I decided that I was going to get involved in the real estate space, it was uh, I had the, the options in front of me, what I wanted to do. I could have started syndicating deals. I could have started doing many different, um, there were many different options. And somebody told me that, hey, Isaac, you'd be a good, excuse me, you'd be a good salesman. And that opened up the door to many more things. Cost segregation was introduced to me and I was very excited about that opportunity to go ahead. And it's an easy sell most of the time. So, and also on top of that, I get to build fabulous, fabulous relationships with many people and I turn them into title relationships. So it's an incredible, incredible part of my journey that, that, that I'm grateful for is that I have the opportunity really to meet every single, um, I get to meet people from every part of the real estate space. Let's say somebody's syndicating multifamily deals. So then he's involved with multifamily people, but I'm dealing with people that are dealing, people that are buying retail, people that are buying office buildings, people that are buying mobile home parks, people that are buying multifamily. I'm dealing with every single asset class. So I get to learn on the job so much of what other people pay mentors and spend hours and hours to learn, I've been able to learn myself in the past couple of years. On top of that, I host a meetup every single Tuesday and I bring guest speakers on, so I'm able to learn from them as well. I love networking, I love uh, connecting people, I'm able to hook up in investors with potential syndicators. So I'm definitely very grateful to be in the real estate field um, and connect with people uh, just like you. I am very proud of myself. Um, you said Detroit, and I just wanted, I had a million questions after that. I'm from Detroit as well. Houston wow. and Detroit from both. Uh, so first question, do you know uh, George Roberts or Dr. Okay. George Roberts? So George Roberts is a great friend of mine. He's very active on LinkedIn. Are we talking about the same guy? Yes, yes. Yes. So George, he, he hosts this meetup every single Wednesday. Um, so we're, we actually went out for coffee in Detroit when I was there. Um, you currently live in Detroit, Presley? No, I'm in Houston. 
I mean, he's in that. Yeah. So yeah, George Roberts is a great friend of mine. A lovely guy. Yeah, I had him. I had him on. I think about a month ago, maybe a little bit more than a month ago, and he was he was amazing. His story was amazing, and I'm like, you're probably one of the smartest syndicators. You know, it's not a whole lot of doctors and that come from the biotech space and then come into real estate. He's a very smart guy. Very yeah. smart guy. Very bright, um, bright fellow. So for the people who the people who are on now, but as well as the, the people who will be listening, um, for them, could you break down what is cost segregation and then go into a little bit of detail about that? Absolutely. So I'll start off like this, guys. Cost segregation is is one of the most unknown secrets um, that every investor um, has to know. Now, many people do know, but I just dealt with a person today who has millions of dollars worth of real estate, and he was shooting himself in the pants that he hasn't learned about COSAC up until this point. Um, anytime you buy an investment property, it doesn't matter what type of property, it could be multifamily, office, retail, anything, you're entitled to something called standard depreciation. Even though your property is depreciating, it's going up in value, the IRS views that your property is going down in value due to the fact that it's older. Similarly, if you would take a car out of a shop, second you leave the parking lot, it gets, uh, the price value goes down, it drops. So to over here, the price value goes down due to the fact that it's older. Even though technically the market value is still going up, the IRS cuts us a break, it's going down. Standard depreciation will dictate, dictate on a $1 million property, you will get back $30,000 a year in standard depreciation. It's called straight line depreciation. So if your tax bill is 100 grand, you could take off 30 grand. It's only considered you made 70 grand and now you have to pay less taxes. Multifamily is residential. So any residential property would be, would go, um, would be divided by 27 and a half years. Over 27 and a half years, you would get back your entire purchase price besides land. Land is not depreciable because land never goes bad. And uh, commercial properties are depreciated over 39 years. So like I just said, my example of $1 million, you would get back $30,000 a year. Cost segregation is a very simple idea. There's a lot of nuances and details in cost segregation, which we'll go into. But the idea of cost segregation is just accelerating your depreciation. Now, how do we accelerate, accelerate that depreciation? That's the million dollar question. But we fast forward your depreciation. If I owe you Presley 100 bucks, instead of giving you 10 bucks a year, I'm giving you essentially, let's say 50 bucks in year one, and then a little bit every single year after that. I'm giving you a big chunk in year one. And obviously, if you're getting hit with a tax bill, you would want to take it earlier on so you could offset your taxes, have more cash flow to reinvest in more properties. Every property is made up of three components. You have 27 and a half year property, which is the structure of the, of the property, the walls, the, flo the, the, walls the, the base of the property. That's depreciated over 27 and a half years. That lasts the longest. You have 15 year property, which is depreciated over 15 years. That's land improvements. So that's landscaping, parking lots, bushes, grass. That's all depreciated over 15 years. Then you have five year property, which is flooring, vinyl flooring, all different types of flooring, carpets, chandeliers, vanity. That depreciates over five years. A regular accountant does not know how to segregate, how to divide these categories properly. They know how to divide them, but they don't know how to allocate the right numbers to them because they're not a licensed engineer. We come in where any cost seg uh, firm for that purpose comes in and they identify different components in the property that are eligible to be taken on a faster basis. So try to imagine guys like this, try to imagine you have three buckets. You have a 27 and a half year bucket, right over here, then you have a 15 year bucket, and then you have right over here, a five year bucket. You're taking out of the 27 and a half year bucket, some components and putting it in to the 15 and five year bucket. Now mm -hmm. you can take, now you can take certain components of the property on a faster basis. Now the million dollar question is very nice, Isaac, you can take all that over five and 15 years. So you don't have to wait 27 and a half years, but everybody knows that you could take that on year one. There's something called bonus depreciation. What's that? 
So without flying over the place, and we'll get to the different details soon, but just to make matters simple, you're gonna go ahead, we're, the process is like this. We're gonna come in with our engineers. We're gonna identify different components of your property, carpet, landscaping, parking lot. You can take that faster. There were laws that were introduced in 2017 that to make a long story short, allowed investors like me and you to take all five and 15 year property on year one. So again, it's a three-step process. We come with our licensed engineers, we identify components. Now that we identify these components as five and 15 years, then kicks in bonus depreciation. I call it cost segregation on steroids. So now you have cost segregation on steroids, allowing you to take all five and 15 year property on year one. So every asset class um, really varies. And we'll get them in a second. Presley, I'll, I'll, I'll stop here. But um, every asset class is different how much you could expect. But um, that's, that's the basics of cost egg. You're fast forwarding your depreciation. And why would you want to take it over a bunch of years if you could take it earlier on? So um, to take a pause there and explain a little bit or we'll go in a little bit deeper for uh, the listeners and the viewers. In multifamily syndication, you will never see um, a deal or cycle go less than two years. And the reason why is what Isaac just said is because you got to have it for at least that full year first so you can get all your tax benefits. So a great deal that can be um, repositioned and disposition quickly will always be at minimum two years because you can't do it in a, in a year you lose way too much money. So usually the goal is uh, the business plan is three years or five years. Um, if it's more of an equity plan, it's not really cash flowing, and it might be five or seven years. Um, but every project will always be minimum two years for the reason he just said. Exactly. Um, that's very true what you're saying, uh, Presley. So I deal with a lot of syndicators. And like Presley said, that you have a lot of people that their, their, their strategy is they're buy and hold for a couple of years, some two years, some three years. Um, that actually brings up a very, very important point about cost segregation. Um, obviously you can't just have a property for a couple of days and do a cost segregate. You're not gonna really benefit too much from it, but there's something that's important for guys to know. Something called recapture. Recapture means that you're gonna to have to pay back the tax liability that you got out of. We're all familiar with the 1031 exchange. Um, and if we're not, I'll give a quick rundown. You have a property, you sell it, you have capital gains. You buy a property for 500 grand, you sell it for a million, you have a $500,000 capital gain. You're gonna to have to pay a lot of taxes on that. The IRS came out with a law that you could go ahead and take all those proceeds, throw it into a new property, and you will not have to pay capital gain tax. Just like a 1031, the idea is to defer your capital gain so you don't have to pay taxes. Cost segregation is also a way of deferring your taxes. It doesn't erase your taxes, it throws it down the line. Just like the 1031 property, if eventually you sell it and you don't 1031 it again, you will have to pay capital gain tax, so too by cost segregation. You're really throwing it down the road. So if you're only gonna hold the property for a few years, then, and then you're gonna to have to pay back the tax liability that you got out of previously a few years back, you have to make a calculation if it was worth it to do a cost X study for the access to that cash for that minimum amount of time. If you're gonna hold it for three years, then of course it's worth it because you have access to, the, to that amount of cash for three years. But if you're only gonna hold it for three, four months, then there's no point in paying five grand for a cost X study and you're just gonna to have to pay back the same tax liability a few months later. So recapture is a very important point. Um, there are ways out of, uh, out of recapture tax. Um, if you do 1031 the property, not only do you not have to pay capital gains taxes, you actually do not have to pay back cost segregation recapture. Um, so that's a, probably the most important detail about cost segregation. Generally, people still do it because they end up holding it for a few years. This would basically, my message would be to anybody listening over here, if you're a fix and flipper, cost segregation is not gonna really benefit you. Um, if you are holding it for a year, it's worth it to give out, give me a shout and I can let you know, based upon the numbers, what type of property it is, if uh, you will gain or not. 
Um, there's another important point that I want to I want to talk about is and, we're, and Presley's bringing up multifamily syndication. Even if we're not actively being the syndicator and putting together the deal, a lot of us are LP investors in deals. So the question I get a lot from people are, am I entitled to some of that accelerated depreciation? And if yes, how can I utilize it? Um, and it's very important to know that as an LP investor, you will get back accelerated depreciation. Let's say me and Presley and I team up on, uh, on a deal. We, uh, we're GPs together. We put together, uh, we syndicate a deal. We get a bunch of LP investors and uh, we give a certain LP investor, let's say, he has a 2% stake in the property. He'll get back 2% of the accelerated depreciation. So let's say the accelerated depreciation is 200 grand. He'll get back, what's the calculation? 20 grand, $2,000, something like that. He'll get back $2,000 of accelerated depreciation. Now, how can the LP investor use that accelerated depreciation? If I'm a syndicator and Presley's a syndicator, so we're gonna be real estate professionals. This is the most important thing to know in the entire cost segregation world. When and where can I use that money that I'm getting back from, from, from the accelerated depreciation through a cost segregation method? If you're a real estate professional, which means that you spend 750 hours a year or more in real estate, or if you're on a W-2 income and you spend more time in real estate than you spend on your W-2 job, that will make you qualify as a real estate professional just got to make sure your accountant's aggressive and he's willing to file you as a real estate professional. Then you could offset any income. Your wife could be working in a Walmart and making W-2 income. You could offset that. You could be making side hustle, Amazon income. You could offset that. As opposed to if you're just an LP investor, it's possible you're a real estate professional. But if you're not a real estate professional, then you could only offset passive proceeds, passive profits. So let's say you have a couple a um, couple investments in different, different syndications, or let's say you're making money off the stock market, or let's say your business is considered a passive, you're considered a passive partner in your business. So all those proceeds you can offset. So very big, uh, distinct line between the two. A real estate professional could offset active income, and a, somebody who's not a real estate professional can only offset passive income. Is that correct, Presley? Yeah. So... Um, that's in regards to real estate professionals. Should we get into asset classes? You tell me what's next. Um, yes, but let's make it difficult and I'll and jump around because on the um, we have some uh, real estate investors that that are on the uh, on the webinar now, um, and I know they are very heavy into single family. Um, is there any differences? Because I only know commercial. <laughs> is there any differences? going into single family rental properties um, that you would like to speak about to them to be a value add to them. Absolutely, um, for sure. And it's actually really interesting that you wanna focus on single family because I actually have been the past couple of weeks very focused on single family. I've got a lot of inbound LinkedIn leads um, with single family uh, types of properties. And initially my company was like, hey, Single families are not like the most profitable when, profitable when it comes to cost seg. Even for us, for the, for the client, it's not so profitable. But I figured out a few different ways to make it profitable for our company as well as to make it profitable for the client. And I'll explain how. Single family houses, if you're buying single family houses for 100 grand each, generally, it's not going to be worth it to do a cost seg on it. And I'll explain why. Let's say you buy one single family house for 100 grand. So you're going to pay, even if I could get you the grant for two for $2,000, I could get you the cost seg study. You're going to pay $2,000 for the cost seg study. Let's say I get you on a single family house, generally the reclass, the amount that I could get you a five and 15 year property in year one is let's say 15 to 20%. So we always have to minus land. Land is not depreciable. So we'll take a hundred grand and I'll, and I'll show you what I'm doing in a second, even though you guys might be doing more than hundred grand, but Explain in a second. $100,000 minus 15%. Land Usually land is 15%. California, it's more. $85,000. let us say I get you 20% of your single family house and first year depreciation. You're looking at $17,000 of a write-off. Now, I'm not putting $17,000 in your pocket. I'm giving you a write-off of seventeen dollars Let's say you're getting hit in the 25% income bracket. 
So times $17,000 by 25%, we're talking about a fourth, around $4,000 extra in your pocket. So it doesn't really make sense to pay two grand to get an extra four grand in your pocket. Those numbers don't really match up. So you're not really gaining too much. But if you're buying a $250,000 single family house and holding it for a couple of years, then it starts to be worth it because then the write-off is much bigger. I had a guy call me up and he's like, hey, Isaac, I have seven single family houses. They're all hundred grand each, the purchase price. I told him, I said, I remember his name was Sam. I was like, Sam, I'd love to help you. I can't, there's nothing to do over here because we're gonna have to charge you at least two grand to study. And your write-off is gonna be so minimal, it's not gonna be worth it. But there is a way I could help you out. So generally I tell clients 250 and above, that's when it's worth it to start crunching the numbers. Because if you if you have a property that you purchased for 250, um, then we're talking the write-off could be 40 grand, 10 grand in your pocket. I could try to get you a cheap study. When I say cheap, obviously the work is good, but try to get you a, a good price. And then you get, you're getting a decent write-off. But anything less than that, it's not worth it. But then we do something, and I push for this within my company, called the statistical sampling, which a lot of companies don't do. And that means if, let's say, you buy five, six, it usually starts with eight and above. Let's say eight single-family houses for $100,000 each. Then if they're all near each other and they're all very similar types of houses, we could do a sample study, which means we'll do a study on two, three of them, only charge you for like two, three of them, and then copy the rest. So... There is ways to do that. They have to be within the same vicinity in the same city, very similar types of houses, because if not, we can't copy them. But um, if that's not the scenario and you're purchasing 250, 300,000, or even four or $500,000 single family houses or a million dollar single family house, absolutely. I just got a client today on a single family house that he purchased for a couple million dollars. I got him close to an $800,000 write-off, single family house. So single family houses are definitely very relevant when it comes to cost segregation. The problem is a lot of people that reach out to me are reaching out with $100,000 properties. So generally it doesn't make sense. But I'll tell you one more thing. Let's say you bought a $100,000 house and you put 200 grand of renovations into it. That's a whole different ballgame. Because now we're talking about a basis of 300 grand. You bought it for 100 and you put 200 in. So then your write-off is going to be substantial. I just want to run through the numbers with you and explain to you guys how it works. Generally, generally, sorry, generally land is 15% of your property. California is usually 25%, but it usually averages out to 15%. Ultimately, if you guys do a study with us, then uh, we'll ask for a land allocation. But let's say you buy a property. I'll talk about a single family house. You buy a single family house for $300,000, okay? Not, not too crazy. We'll take off 15% for land which is 45 grand, you left it to the basis of 255. Let's say the average single family house gets 18% of a reclass by us. When I say reclass, it means our findings consist of, of the five and 15 year, which you could take on year one. Um, is usually, let's say 18% of the purchase price. So let's say 18% equals, you're gonna get around the $46,000 write-off. If you're in the 25% income bracket, you're looking at 12, almost 12 grand um, left over in your pocket. And if I could get that study for you for let's say 2,500 bucks, uh, that's a $10,000 swing. And now you have $10,000 extra in your pocket to reinvest in another property. And obviously, if we're looking at a $600,000 single family house, the write-up is going to be much bigger. Um, that's generally what I tell people. And obviously when it comes to partnerships, however much of a partnership you have, that's a much accelerated depreciation you get back. It's that we talked about before. Um, something important to know that um, we do look back studies. Look back studies means retroactively you could get um, bonus depreciation. So any properties you purchased from 2017, September 2017 and on, you actually can go ahead and still take accelerated depreciation on that through a cost segregation study. Um, I'm just thinking, Presley, if there's any other points about cost seg that we didn't cover. Is there, is there a limit to the uh, retro? Um, retroactively uh, doing the, the cost So there's no limit. It has to be, um, ha the, the, the property have, uh, has to have be, um, the property had to be purchased by September of 2017, because that's when these laws of bonus depreciation was introduced. So if it was before 2017, the, the, the profit, the gains are gonna be very small. But um, I just did a look back study a few weeks back. Um, 
for a property that was purchased in 2018, January, 2018. And the guy got a solid write-off. So um, definitely, definitely very well worth it. Um, I just wanted to run through the asset classes. Is that okay, Presley? I appreciate it. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, how much, how much you could expect? People ask me all the time, hey, Isaac, like I'm involved in single family. I'm involved in multifamily. What generally do you get? So I have it broken down like this. I'll start from lowest to highest. The properties that you could expect the lowest amount of findings in the first year are self-storage and industrial properties. And the reason is, why do you have a self-storage property? Because you're storing stuff there. So it's hollow inside. There's very little items that can be taken. As opposed to, let's say, a multifamily property, you have a bunch of carpet, chandeliers, vanity, et cetera. So there's much less items and components in there that can be taken earlier on. Um, the next, and I would expect usually on a self-storage or industrial, anywhere from seven to 12% of a reclass. So you still have parking lots, you still have HVAC, you still have certain items that can be taken, but still minimal. Um, it's definitely worth it to reach out for, for, a, for a proposal because you never know what type of benefits you could get. Um, office space, retail, and um, let's say medical offices, medical buildings, I would expect anywhere from 12 to 20% of a reclass. It really ranges if there's carpet in the office, if there's different, sometimes the medical offices have special freezers. So you definitely can get more from that. We'll try to squeeze every last light bulb. So we'll go in there and we'll try to get everything, but gen generally 12 to 20%. Um, single family houses, generally 14 to 22%. So it really depends um, if it's a single family house in Philly where there's no uh, very small driveway or in Brooklyn in the city, there's no, they don't have a single family house in the city, but let's say Brooklyn, it's, it's gonna be 14%. But if, let's say you have a single family house in, in, in the boondocks and you have a huge backyard and a huge front yard, a huge driveway, you'll get 20, 22%. Um, multifamily generally ranges anywhere from 18 to 28%. It really depends um, on the situation. If you have a multifamily property in the city, there's going to be very little parking lot. You're going to get less. If you have a garden style multifamily in Houston, Texas, you could get 28%. Um, mobile home parks are extremely beneficial when it comes to cost segregation. Mobile home parks can get anywhere from 30 to 75% of your purchase price. And the reason being is a lot of these items in the mobile homes are very, very like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They just... They're, they're not long lasting. They're just, um, oh, yeah. 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 yeah, they just, so Here, even the actual homes, the structure is considered sometimes five-year property. Sometimes clients get 75% of their purchase price. And the last wow. but lot, not least is something that many, many people don't know. And people were very grateful for me uh, for sharing this research that I did. Car washes, car washes could get up to 90% of the purchase price in year one. And the reason being is that there were certain laws that went into effect that enabled car wash owners to take, I just got a client, um, and not just, maybe a year ago, got a client, he purchased a car wash for 1.1 million and he got like a $900,000 write-off, ridiculous. Um, wow. So obviously you're not purchasing a property just for cost-seg purposes, but it's something to keep in mind when you go into a property, what the potential cost-seg benefits are because cost-seg benefits are becoming more and more known to syndicators, investors, that it's a real hot item that you could use to offset your tax liability. Um, do you, so we, we have um, certain clientele that we deal with in other aspects of our um, company that look for uh, a depreciating asset so they can offset their taxes. Do you, target or do you speak to those individuals to let them know and, and i know you're kind of looking for you know fish in the ocean but do you put yourself out there and say hey if you guys if you made too much money you need to buy typically what they'll do is buy a failing business or they'll buy um an operating business and make it fail so they can you know write it off do you kind of try to slide in there and say hey if you purchase this asset this is something that that will help you as well yeah absolutely um great question so First of all, in general, I'm always posting like these tidbits on LinkedIn about all these cost segregation tips about what people can do. Um, so I'm not an accountant, so I'm not actually tax planning with my guys, 
But I have a lot of guys who will call me up and say, hey, Isaac, I'm about to buy a property. Um, I could buy property A or I could buy property B. And they're both great properties. They both will be cash flowing. Um, they're both in the same area. Which property will be better for a cost segregation analysis? Well, if I'm going to get an extra million dollars off another property for cost seg, and I could offset all my income or all my investors' income and all my partners' income, and then I could take that extra money and throw it into new property, there I see more and more, more often every day, how people are focusing in on this. And I've seen some of my guys not pay taxes for years and years because of the strategy. So people will call me up even before going into a deal and they say, hey, Isaac, part of this deal is contingent on us having a good cost seg study. So what would you predict we would get back on this and this property? So I'll walk through with them. I'll send them a complimentary proposal. I'll have my engineering team look at it to see what they expect. And we'll try to obviously be as aggressive as possible. Um, yeah, absolutely. Do you absolutely. guys need to be on site or hire somebody to go on site? Or how do you yeah. do that? Yeah, it's a great question. So we, we, we really offer the option of, of a virtual tour or a physical tour. If it's a physical tour and it's far out, if we have an engineer, they're great. Um, if we don't, then we hire an engineer from the, from the local state that's around. Sometimes the study ends up being a couple hundred dollars more, but um, we go down to the property and then we really dissect the whole thing. We go through every single room, every single nook and cranny, and uh, we'll try to take everything out. Every wire, every faucet, every, every light bulb, literally. Um, we'll go through and get every last five, six dollars that we can add on to first year bonus. Um, what's cool about my company, I wasn't talking about my company so much, is that because we've been around so long, the CPAs are comfortable taking the gray areas that certain companies are not. So let's say you have gray areas, like, can I take this, can I not? These CPAs have been around for 20 years. We got audited a few times out of 25,000 studies. We got audited three times and we won all three audits because these CPAs really know what they're doing. So it's super cool, super cool. The whole, the whole system, they go down the engineers and they're like, hey, is it what type of flooring is it? Is it vinyl flooring? Is it laminate flooring? If it's laminate, you get this much. If it's vinyl, you get this much. So uh, it's, really, it's really like a thorough process. For new investors who, um, let's say they're a doctor and they're freaking out. They're like, you know, I have money in stock and I have money in certain places, but I don't have any money in real estate. So they get in real estate, whether it be a single family or a multifamily. So currently they're going to have more than likely a CPA who is used to doing normal W-2s and, you know, the run of the mill average um, average worker, what would you suggest them do? Because um, obviously they're going to want to use you for um, extra tax advantages. Do you advise them to get a still a more specifically structured or focused CPA? Or do you guys, can you work just as well with a CPA who's not, not used to doing uh, investment property? So would you mind holding on a second while I pull up a LinkedIn post that I posted specifically about this question that Presley is, uh, is posing over here? Can we, hold on for can, we, can we hold on for 30 seconds? Yeah, I can share the screen if you want to put it up on the computer. It's from my phone though, so I don't know if we're gonna be able to do that. I'm, I'm gonna read it, okay? Okay. If I can't find it within... Uh, if I can't find it within uh, 10 more seconds, then we'll just scratch this. <laughs> or you can keep talking while you're looking. <laughs> you can get it in, in a minute. This show has no time limit. Okay, here we go, guys. All right, I'm ready. Um, okay, it's really a story that happened, but you'll, you'll get the point from the story. Okay. Cra crazy story. I called a... Uh, I cold called someone yesterday, assuming he was the property owner. He told me that he had no idea what cost segregation was before I called. He was very grateful. I went on a rant that anyone that owns real estate needs to find an accountant that is familiar in the real estate space. These accountants know the real estate laws very well, enabling their clients to benefit tremendously. I told him, you need a new accountant. He says, Isaac, I'm not the owner. I'm the owner's accountant. 
Wow. I wanted to, I wanted to drop dead on the spot. That's how embarrassed I was. So the point of the conversation, obviously, this is a very embarrassing story for me. But the point of the conversation was, is that there are many people that own properties that have accountants that are great people, but they're not familiar enough with the real estate laws. And because of that, their clients lose out. I've had clients tell me that they're upset at their CPA, that their CPA didn't suggest that they do a cost segregation study. My CPA sees I'm getting hit with a tax bill. They know I own properties. Tell me to do a damn cost segregation study. Right? It's not fair. So absolutely, if you are a property owner and you own investment properties, make sure either your accountant is well aware of the laws or you got to get yourself an aggressive real estate accountant. First of all, if you're eligible as a real estate to file as a real estate professional, your benefits would be that much greater. On top of that, to suggest when to suggest cost egg, when not to suggest cost egg, there's so, and it's not just with cost egg. It could be with 1031s. It could be with many different um, items in the real estate field. Absolutely, it's a very good point Presley's making. You got to make sure that you have an aggressive CPA who's familiar in the real estate field. Awesome. Yeah, uh, I've, I've heard many stories, but I'll I'll leave those to rest. <laughs> um, and I even with the, the cost segregation, but just you know, I find that a lot with with operators and syndicators who aren't um, super experienced. They're they're not that familiar with uh, cost segregation. Um, sad to say, I meet a lot of syndicators who are pretty much experienced, but they're not familiar with um, security exchange laws. And they're advertising uh, 506, which would, would be a 506B um, filing. And it's like, you can't, you can't advertise that. <laughs> you better shut up before you go to jail. I see that all the time. I'm like, you're not allowed to advertise that 506C. <laughs> um, how long have you been doing this again? I think you said it earlier, but remind me. How long have you been doing call today? Um, year and a half. Year and a half. I, okay. I've been involved in the field for a little longer, um, but I'll tell you one thing. I'm a pretty hard worker. So like I'll work a lot at night and stuff like that. And I was able to meet many people. So I definitely, uh, I threw myself in. Well, I am I'm one of a people's person, um, but to the credit of my wife, who I've been with since I was 20. Um, and we, we've been together coming up close to 20 years, um, married 15. Wow. And all that, she has a degree in psychology and master's in mental health. So I kind of now have a degree in uh, psychology and mental health. And I understand um, speech patterns and behaviors a little bit better than someone who's not married to my wife. And this is for the audience. And this is going to be very interesting uh, when people go back and look at this. If you go to the YouTube and you type in Investors Gallery, and you type in Isaac, you look for the video that Isaac is, uh, that we're doing this interview for, and you look at his position and his demeanor um, when he first starts talking, it's different than when he starts talking about cost segregation. <laughs> um, you reposition, reposition yourself in a seat and you unknowingly and unconsciously get really excited. So you don't have to tell me, I know this is something that you're passionate about. And it could be passionate because it's cool and you get to help people, or it could be because you're a nerd like I am and you just like numbers, or it could be both. But I can tell just from the excitement and uh, the fire in your voice and in your eyes that this is something that you like to do. Cosseg is so specific. Um, that it's it's not it's not like multifamily. Multifamily is so multifaceted because we need to know a little bit about how cost seg works because we gotta explain it to our investors. We need to know a little bit about securities laws. We need to know about um, uh, marketing and branding and, and meeting investors and how to get investors to look for us. It's like a little bit of everything that we need to know. So a lot of times it can take a little bit longer to become really good. But if 
you're teaching, you know, a teenager how to change a tire and they change a tire a couple of times, you know, it only takes so long to get good at something when it's not as in-depth as a whole industry. You're, you can take basically your skill set and understand what the principles and the foundations, the, the uh, laws and regulations are around that asset and still apply, you know, the, the thing that you learn about the other asset class. So, yeah, being it that you're, you've been in it for a year and a half, I guess what I'm trying to say is since it's so specific and you've done this many, many, many times, and you've got a whole company behind you um, to help, you know, if you have any issues, I don't think that, that's not something that would scare me. Um, I was talking to uh, an investor today, and he says he doesn't bet on a horse, he bets on a jockey. And that's what I see in you, the, the passion, the knowledge that you have um, very much outweighs the, the, the time, the, the quote-unquote experience that you have. Because it, 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 you put it on paper. So, yeah, a year and a half means nothing to me. I, I, I would be very comfortable with you doing my talk. I really appreciate that, Presley. I really appreciate the compliment. Yeah, I, I, I really take my work seriously. And, and because of that, I actually was able to. And honestly, I, I give a lot of I give every ounce of credit to God for putting me in this position. But I was able to, to deal with some big guys. I don't know. You're in Houston, but we have an office in Houston. We have an office in uh, Dallas. I deal with some... Some, some of the big ties, some of the big guys from, from Texas. And we got some big syndicators there. So thank God. Let's just keep coming. Um, have, have you been to any conferences lately? Yes, I was at the ICSC in Vegas. Um, okay. It was like a retail and development conference a couple months ago. Then I was uh, at the IMN in uh, Florida a couple months back. Um, I'm actually going to a conference tomorrow. It's actually a healthcare conference, but a lot of these nursing home owners um, do cost seg on their nursing homes. It's called the Zimit Healthcare Event. I'm actually leaving tomorrow morning to Connecticut. Um, and then I'm going back. To, I don't know if you ever heard of the ECOR, huge, uh, huge real estate event in Florida in November. I'm going there. So thank God. I love, I love meeting people in person. It makes it, it makes the relationship much more solid, obviously. Um, so yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, and a person who was not invested into their craft would not be going on a conference every 30 seconds. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Absolutely. Um, so we have um, a few individuals who have joined, even though um, school is tomorrow. So I'm going to unmute everybody on my end. Um, also, Isaac, the reason why I put this platform together is so most of us in the syndication land have podcasts or have some kind of event or we have something and we deal with other syndicators and other investors. And I love that and I love being a part of it. I was on, uh, it's like I talk about Tim Mai every podcast. He gets in some kind of way. I was on Tim Mai's podcast today. He has an amazing podcast with other syndicators. But what I, I do what I feel is missing or what I have a passion for. So obviously I have a passion for multifamily. What I felt was missing is my job as a syndicator is to find individuals who want to place their money in some kind of vehicle that is passive or come in as GP if they have the experience. So I put this platform together to be able to market to the public so they can come here and talk to professionals and experts like you. So at the end of the video, I always open it up just to make sure um, or to see if anyone has questions, not to make sure they don't have questions because I, I really encourage it. Um, but so I've opened it up for everyone. Um, if you have a question for Isaac or maybe a comment, or if you need to, him to put his information, cue to you, Isaac, put your information in the chat below. Um, Isaac's information will also be on the YouTube uh, description and um, the podcast details as well. So if you don't catch it here, it'll be there. But um, does anybody have any questions for Isaac? Hey, Isaac, it's Angel. I just wanted to say that was awesome and that I'm here to support you. Angel, I am. When I saw you on air, I was like, Angel, I can't believe you're here. I was so pumped. <laughs> oh, my God. You don't, you don't, you don't stop, Angel. They should call you. They should call you Mrs. Meetup. <laughs> 
I'm very, I'm very touched that you're here, Angel. And by the way, I want to say sorry. I haven't made it to the past couple of Monday meetings. It's been crazy hectic and I, I hope to get back on. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. Things are crazy right now, but you yeah. come, you come to support me and I wanted to come and support you. I really appreciate that. I really do. Wow. Yeah, wow. Um, And for those who are listening, um, our world is pretty small. Um, The investors and all of the other, I don't want to say support um, industries, but all the the other individuals and companies that um, rely on whatever the big thing is. So in my case, you have a multifamily where you're going to have contractors, general contractors, you're going to have inspectors and appraisers loan officers, and it's a plethora of people that um, support what we're doing um, in our, you know, big industries in their own right. But in our industry, in our space, especially in multifamily, it's a pretty small world. You will definitely run into each other a few times. So I appreciate you coming on, Angel, as as well. Um, Does anybody else have any questions for Isaac? Um, I just had something to say. Um, Isaac, for someone that loves numbers, just hearing you speak, you you get other people excited with you, and I love it. And I wrote down so many notes, um, and I would love to get your contact information, you know, to keep update with you. But I also wanted to know, you mentioned about car washes, and I wanted to know, far as wash materials, is wash materials in the same category with the car wash? So uh, first of all, tell me if I pronounce this correctly. Is it uh, Yolanda? Yolanda, yes. Yolanda. (laughs) Yolanda. First of all, thank you so much for the compliments. I really do appreciate that. Um, I definitely am passionate about it and definitely I would love to give you my contact information. I was actually trying to put in the chat room, but it just says to host and panelists. It doesn't say to everybody. You well, you are a panelist. I understand that, but how do I how do I send it to the guests? Um, they should. I think they should all be able to see it. So uh, type something in there, and then we'll ask the guests if they can see it. Okay, one second. I'll just type my phone number first. Where is? Let's see where is the chat on my? Yeah, okay, are you guys able to see that? I don't. You might have to do it in the Q and A, maybe. You might you might be controlling. Oh, okay. So when you see type message here, click on host and panelists and click on everyone. I I press that and I don't see an option for everyone. All I see is an option is for host and panelists and Presley Hambrick. Oh. Yeah. On our I'll copy it. So I'm gonna copy it now to everyone. Oh, you got it. Okay, and you could write my email as well. Should I write that in and then you'll copy it? Yeah, because I'll mess it up if I try. <laughs> Weinberger at madisonx.com. You guys have LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, okay, so I just sent it to you again. Um, but Yolanda, do you mind just explaining that one more time? What type of property were you asking if it's similar to a car wash? Say it one more time. Um, I was wondering were uh, wash materials in the same category as car wash? Can you explain to me what, what, what these things are? I'm not familiar with that. Uh, the wash material, you know, where people go and wash their clothes. Oh, 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 absolutely. You're talking about uh, what are these laundromats? Yes, yes, correct. <laughs> absolutely. So... Not that I know of, but I have seen people with laundromats do cost segregation studies on them. Um, so I don't, I, I will find out for you. So reach out to me and I'll find out tomorrow from our CPA. Um, I don't, I don't think so. I think there was a certain law that went into effect for car washes. I'm not sure why maybe they were trying to get people to buy more car washes, but um, I do not think that, uh, I do not think that it uh, has the same status as a car wash. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. Are you guys all from Texas? I know Angel's from Texas and Presley mentioned he's from Houston. What about Justin? Yeah, I'm in Wichita Falls. Really? Okay. I got a lot of people to visit. (laughs) (laughs) 
Hey, Isaac, I have a question. On a laundromat, couldn't you cross-seg still like the four walls and any of the like um, the fixtures and stuff that are in that 5, 10, 15 bucket? Of course. So um, you're talking about on what type of property? Well, like on a laundromat or... I don't yes, know about you, like a car wash, but on a laundromat for sure, there should be stuff that go that goes into those little buckets. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know if you heard this correctly. I told Yolanda that you can do a cost sex study on a laundromat. You could, but okay. I don't I don't think it has the same status of the 90% depreciation method in year one. Of course, you're gonna have different uh, components, fixtures and flooring and some of the walls. A hundred percent you could take that. Um, I, I believe you should be able to get at least 15, 16, 17% of a reclass on laundromats. I want to get back to Yolanda if it has the same same status. I don't think it does. I think it was a special law that was put into effect for, for car washes. I just know enough to be dangerous. Yeah. Angel, by the way, Angel knows a lot. And even she she always sounds like she knows a lot also. She, she knows how to talk. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the question, um, Charles, did you have a question? Yeah, I had a question. Um, really wanted to ask specifically about my, my last year, um, you know, process and, and transaction. So we built a house, started in 2020, finished it up. Um, well, yeah, I guess 2020, 2021, finished it up in 2022. So right at, right at the beginning in January, wanted to find out what saw, what cost segregation was possible with only having a property kind of going through con construction over that year and a half, two year time frame. Absolutely. Um, so thank you, Charles. Uh, great question. So what did you purchase it for and how much was like the rental budget, uh, soft and hard cost, everything combined? So we, we, we had a, a construction, it, was, it wasn't rented ever, it was just, it was built and sold. So we had a construction budget, let's say of eight hundred thousand, and a sale price of like one point four. Wait a second, you sold it, or you guys are holding on to it right now? We sold it. We sold it. Oh, so then you're not going to be able to cost seg it because you're not going to really benefit anything from the cost seg. Um, did you guys rent it out before you sold it? No. Yeah. So you got to have it in service, and as has to be an investment property under either your name or somebody else's name in order to be able to use it to do a cost segregation. If you sold it, then it's not gonna help you to go ahead and do a cost segregation study, unfortunately. It's only relevant for any buy and holds. Okay. But I will tell you off the bat, Charles, that any of, uh, any of the renovation um, budget that you have, you can go to your accountant, obviously, and try to be as aggressive as possible and expense a lot of the items that you use them there as a, as a tax write-off. So that's definitely something that you should do with your accountant. Cool, thank you. Has Larry been treating you good, Charles? He has. He has definitely, definitely. I actually was, uh, I was thinking about the Washateria question, which is like a totally Texas question. So that's pretty cool. I've been in Texas. <laughs> I've been in Texas long enough to know Washateria. There's a lot of, a lot of laundromats in Texas. <laughs> yeah. So, um, what about like the actual equipment? How would that work as far as deductions and and and, and cost segregation? When you say equipment, what do you mean by that? Like like uh, washers, dryers, and so oh, oh that's what you mean yeah. in the wash in the laundromat. Yeah. Um, that's actually a great question. So it really depends. If you bought the property with these things included in the sale, then there are certain times that you can take these um, these components as a tax write off um, in year one. If you bought the property and then you put it in, then they have nothing to do with each other. But if you bought the property together with these washing machines in it, sometimes they're built into the walls. I, I've seen some of these before. Then um, definitely uh, they could be taken earlier on. Cool, thank you. Actually, I, I, when you said that, I kind of thought of one other one other uh, aspect. Sure. So right now we're actually in a process of um, potentially selling a cafe that we own. And I was wondering, we've had it for now about a year and a half, two years. Um, is there any possibility to write off or de depreciate any of the equipment that was already there or doing any, any cost segregation there? So, so it's a great question, Charles, but it's really the same answer that if you're going to sell the property, you're not going to really benefit too much by doing the cost sec. Because even if I could do a cost sec for you and I'm going get to you, get you a big tax write-off, the second you sell that property, you're going to get hit 
with that tax liability that you just got out of. So if your if your motto is a 1031 um, motto that you go ahead and you just 1031 your properties, then we have what to talk about. But if you're just going to sell that property and then you're going to take that money and you're going to pay taxes on it, you're not going to really gain anything from a cost segregation study. Cost segregation studies are really only relevant if you're going to buy a property and hold for a few years and you do it earlier on. If you're going to buy it and then you plan on selling it, unless you're going to 1031 that property, um, there's no point in doing a cost segregation study. Thank you. Isaac, I have a question. Um, on that five-year phase-out on cost segs, is that for all properties or only specific properties? What five-year phase-out? So, like, you get 100% of bonus depreciation. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you're 80, 60, 40, 20 until it's done. Yeah, so Angel's actually bringing up a good point, which we didn't talk about, and I'm not sure why, is that this bonus depreciation that was introduced in September of 2017 is actually going to phase-out. Um, in 2023, it's actually going to be 80% bonus instead of 100% bonus. Uh, 2024, 60, so on and so forth until it phases out, unless um, Congress decides to change it. But as of now, it's going to phase out. But that goes on all asset classes and five and 15 years. So instead of being able to take five year in year one or 15 year in year one, you're only going to be able to take 80% of the five and 15 in year one, only 60% in 2024 of five and 15. And then obviously in 2025, only 40%, but it's all asset classes, car washes, mobile home parks, everything. But obviously, if we're dealing with asset classes that you get you a bigger allocation, then you're still going to, even though you're only taking, let's say, 80% or 60%, since the write-up is so large, you're still going to benefit tremendously. Make sense, Angel? You know, absolutely. I'm just, I mean, even if it's only 20%, that's better than zero. And the hope is that it gets like brought back in, right? Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I, I'm predicting that that's going to happen, but you never know what's going to happen. They, uh, as of right now, they're, they're raiding uh, Trump's residence and who knows what, they'll probably uh, have him in jail by tomorrow. So. <laughs> Are they actually raiding him? His golf course, whatever, in my Delago, whatever it is. Right. No, but even <laughs> Listen, all I can tell you guys is I'm not going to get into politics, but all I can tell you is that even though there are many Trump haters out there and I don't judge anybody because I understand he can be a baby sometimes and be insulting sometimes. He helped out real estate owners tremendously. Yes, he did. So yep. That alone, we have that thanks for. He really did. He helped out real estate professionals very, very much with many different uh, laws that the Democrats are trying to get rid of because obviously they believe in more taxes. So tax as much as you can. Charles, did you have a question? I seen you uh, went off of me for a second. Yeah, I did have a question actually. Um, so when talking about cost segregation, if you have and hold a property, past the, let's, let's say five-year mark. You have a property for seven years and you did cost segregation and bonus depreciation and so forth. Um, at the point where you identified assets or, or components that could be depreciated past the five years or at the five years, it, are those no longer applicable to be paid back as far as whatever you, whatever you receive from, from tax benefit? That is such a great question, um, that, phenomenal question. I just want to repeat his question because this is so important to know. Charles was asking, and tell me if you got if, I, if I'm understanding correctly, if I go ahead and hold the property for five years, I depreciated the five-year components in the property fully. So maybe I don't have to go ahead and pay back that recapture when I sell it. And the answer is that you are correct. If you hold it for a full five years, the five-year assets that you depreciated you will not have to pay back due to the fact that you lived out the its full life term, as opposed to if you go ahead and only hold it for four and a half years, you don't hold it the entire time. It's a very interesting, interesting type of guideline. The same way if you hold the property for 27 and a half years, a residential property, and then sell, you're not going to get hit with recapture because you held it out its entire life. The IRS gives it a life of 27 and a half years. So too with this. Great question, Charles. Cool. Thank you. Okay, I'm sorry, go back up and say that again. So like, 
if we have apartments and we cost seg them and we keep them for five years, when we sell them, there's no recapture? No recapture just on the five-year assets, Angel. So, okay. So okay. because you held it for the entire lifespan of the five-year assets. Okay. It's a very important thing to know. Very important. Okay. So the 15 bucket, you'd have to hold for 15 and for the 27 or 39 or whatever it is, you'd have exactly. to hold Exactly. That you'll have to pay back, but not okay. the five-year assets. Exactly. All right. Gotcha. By the way, something just to keep in mind, even if you don't do cost seg and you just take straight line depreciation, if you sell it after a few years, you will have to pay back the straight line depreciation that you took because you technically weren't deserving because they were only giving that to you thinking that you were going to hold on to the property for 27 and a half years. So it makes sense to do the cost seg if you don't intend to buy and hold the property. Why? If you're gonna if, if you're gonna go ahead and sell it after five years, of course it makes sense. Yeah. But if you're gonna, then of course it makes sense. Even if even if you even if this wouldn't be true, what Charles brought up that you don't have to pay back recapture and that if you're gonna hold it for two three years, do a cost seg because you have time value money. Right now, if you're gonna get with the tax bill, you could it's like an interest free loan for a couple of years by doing a couple thousand dollar cost seg. So you'll get hit with the same tax liability down the road, but it's the same idea as a 1031. You're just deferring it. If you're going to hit with a tax bill this year, $100,000 tax bill, and you have $100,000 possible depreciation that you could go ahead and offset that, you'll save yourself 25, 30 grand in your bank account. And then, yeah, you'll pay back a few years later. I'm saying it happens to be what Charles is saying is very true and will help out. But even if it wasn't true, even if you're going to hold it for two, three years, I believe in most syndicators believe in tie value money. Yeah. You have access to that cash. You know, I'd rather pay the bill with tax with um, 2027 tax dollars than 2022 tax dollars. Exactly. Exactly. Very true. Very true. Sharp when Angel comes on. Angel, what's what's your date? Do you remember? Uh, the 23rd. 23rd. I'm excited. I'm gonna have to. What's the 23rd? I missed that. (laughs) What's on the 23rd? She's gonna be on the podcast. Oh, big stuff. I'll have some coffee and some cappuccino ready. <laughs> yeah, Angel Angel, sharp like a wizard. Oh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, any one last question? I don't want to keep Isaac on too long. Oh, because he's, uh, he's uh, Eastern, so it's 7 o'clock there. Oh, yes. What time is it by you guys? Is it 8 o'clock or is it 9 o'clock? It's 9. 9 o'clock. For, for most of us, I think we have... Uh, some others, yeah, I think we have some other Eastern, um, Eastern time zones that haven't spoke. Um, is there one last question uh, for Isaac, from anybody? Uh, let me check Facebook too. Okay, I don't see any, um, any questions either, at least right now. All right, so no questions. I appreciate you coming on, Isaac. You have been a tremendous lesson. Um, and I think that I, I truly believe that a lot of people will learn a lot, especially as I uh, put the snippets out there. Um, I think that would be a blessing for people as well. Um, did you have any last words? And I always like to ask you a few questions before you give your last words. Um, what is a, a nugget that you would like to leave with, uh, with our listeners, a gold nugget of advice or wisdom? Yeah, so um, first of all, thank you again for this opportunity. It was uh, really awesome. It's very cliche, um, but I believe in it tremendously. Um, as, as a sales guy, the more responsive and the more honest you are, the more your clients are going to come back to you. And um, I've seen this time and time again. Madison doesn't have the cheapest prices on the market. You can find pop and shops that are going to be cheaper. But I know the responsiveness. I just got a text um, right before and I responded to a guy and the guy's like, oh, thank you, Isaac, for responding so late. I try to be there for my clients. I try to be honest. I try not to put my foot in my mouth by promising something I'm not going to be able to do. And I've lost clients because of that. They're like, hey, you can't get me this. I'm like, hey, listen, this is what it is. And I try to be as honest as possible. Try to really help out in ways, not even expecting stuff in return. I've helped out syndicators with investors. And if I get it in my hands on an off-market deal, I try to send it over to the guys I know that would benefit from that. So really just not just taking, trying to give as much as you can. That's, that's, I really believe in that. And I, and I, something that I really try hard to, to keep doing. 
Awesome, I appreciate that. Um, so we're gonna wrap it up. I appreciate it. I will send you links and snippets and all that good stuff. Um, yeah, I really appreciate your time for coming on. Um, breath of fresh air. I've had uh, a lot of syndicators on here, which I love. I love talking to them. You know, I talking to my brothers and sisters. Um, but first and foremost, the point of the the platform is to reach uh, different um, experts. So having <laughs> you know the same people on over and over is that directly uh, accomplishing a goal. So I appreciate you coming on um, and giving us a different look um, at uh, how we can protect our investments. So thank you so much, Isaac. Um, I will sure. see you on the interwebs and uh, I'll send your information shortly, probably within the next few days or spread out over the next few days. Okay. Thank you so much, Presley, again, for having me on. Thank you, everybody, for uh, for being here. Angel, Justin, Tracy, Yolanda. Yolanda, I'm going to have to get back to you. And Charles, um, good to see you. I definitely want to come on um, in the future as a guest. Um, and uh, we'll be in touch, guys. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye.